Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast. Today, you are in for a treat because I have been stalling on recording this episode because it kind of triggers me and just thinking about it can make me feel a certain way. I'll explain. But I wanted to do a deep dive on working with a landscape designer for a kitchen garden build or renovation. Um, So this is great if you want the full inside scoop on my like huge personal renovation. And also if you want to take notes because you have a garden project coming up. So I'm going to try and get as much into the nitty gritty as I can without getting, you know, granularly boring. But basically this year, 2022, March, I started my journey of transforming like basically probably about a fifth, maybe a sixth of our property into our garden. And I had spent the past two years, we moved into our home in 2020, about 10 days before the pandemic, like before anyone even knew what was going on. We were really lucky. We timed it ridiculously, like divine interventionly well. Um, But the first thing, of course, I'm like, priority one is the garden, obviously. (laughs) My husband will laugh thinking about that. Um, And we did, in fact, put in a temporary garden. But as you all know, lumber prices and um, contractors and landscapers and labor and all of that, everything changed and got expensive and unavailable. And so the waiting began. And in that waiting time, I had mapped out this garden space 10 ways to Sunday. And I felt like I really knew what I wanted once I got to a certain point and sort of held on to that. And I would say that was probably mistake number one. But um, yeah, so this whole renovation was two years in the making, which you would think would give me so much time to do all the research. But when you're on pause, life moves, right? I mean, I've got a thousand other priorities and two small children and we've got other house projects and I was building a business and am building a business, but that was when I really started digging into actually making something of my brand and um, kind of going online with my gardening journey and all that. So I sort of made the decision on, okay, this is how I want the garden eventually. I'm going to set that aside. And when it's time for this project to happen, I'll pick it back up where we left off. And so I you know, thought that I had done a lot of research or that I intuitively knew what I wanted from the garden, but it turns out um, I didn't, I was not as thorough as I should have been. And so the process was a bit painstaking when it came down to it. I made a lot, and I mean a lot of mistakes that I am still paying for to either recover or reverse. It was a very expensive project, embarrassingly costly. And so 
Anyways, I wanted to create this episode for you guys to reference and to just sort of get it all in one place. So to start from the beginning, and there are a few ways to sort of begin talking about garden design in general, but I'll sort of share it from the perspective of our journey and um, sort of go from there. So when you're first choosing, like when you're starting, you know, at zero for the garden design, either you can begin the process on your own or hire a contractor or a landscape designer. Sometimes there are like kitchen garden design consultants. There are things like that. I dabbled in that. This is not a season in my life where I have time to manage um, a job and clients. So that didn't work well for me, but it's so fun. Um, But location, obviously, like anything is is step number one. So that was decided for me. And there was really the reason we (laughs) truly bought the home that we're in is there was this unphotographed. So we had no idea. I was so reluctant to come. It's a stunning home. I'm so grateful. Like we're so lucky, but I was so annoyed. Joe, my husband even brought it up to me because there was no space for a garden. But I went with the flow. We came and looked at the house and lo and behold, there's this giant patch of like mulch, like a mulched side yard that was in full sun There were a couple avocado and citrus trees just thrown in the ground haphazardly. And I was like, oh, okay, this 100% could be a garden. Actually, could be a really big garden. Um, Our house is on less than a quarter of an acre lot. I want to say it must be, it's around 10,000 square foot lot. The house is fairly big. So that mulch patch covers like, um, I would say a fifth of the yard space that we have, like plantable space. Um, And we've got like this sort of beautiful view, not sort of, it is a totally beautiful view that is landscaped. And so that wasn't really anywhere to be touched, but we have this crazy slope and there was slope failure at our property in the nineties, but that was fixed. And so come to find out later that this giant mulch patch is actually a dumping ground for construction waste. They had built like a road using roadbed, which is basically gravel and clay and dirt. And they just buried the extra stuff they didn't want to haul away. Uh, Sort of spoiler alert, it's very expensive to manually like have someone come and physically shovel dirt out and put it into a dumpster and then take it to the dump. Like it's, it's thousands and thousands of dollars. And I learned that because I had to pay for that to be done when I was building the garden. Um, but what I learned originally was I couldn't grow anything in the soil. Not only does Southern California where we are have super crazy thick clay soil, but now I have this concrete chunk, gravelly, terrible, you know, I've got, I've got four feet of this just chunk. It's this big sort of humped hilly slope thingy that looked flat under the mulch. But once we removed the mulch to build the garden, we realized this is unplantable. So I built a temporary garden and I had built a garden before that. That was just two raised beds. We built this temporary U-shaped bed. I ended up building berms and just learning this space, which was a good thing. I figured out, you know, kind of my microclimate and some good timing for planting and whatnot. But really when we built this new, we came up with this new design, it changed everything because now uh, I decided I wanted raised beds again, but 10 of them or as many of them as I could fit without it feeling sort of suffocating. 
And then I had to bring in new soil. And again, surprise, that is so much soil and it's so much work, but it's been worth it in the long run. Um, so we have the location figured out for us. It's sort of faith, facing Northwest, which gets really harsh afternoon light, which is not totally ideal, but we always have full sun, um, which is great, which means I can garden year round ish because we're zone 10 B, which is a Southern zone in the United States that is very mild in terms of climate. So we do not typically get a frost. If we do, it's not a hard frost and it's really manageable. So there are other, you know, drawbacks to this zone. Like we get a lot of humidity, a lot of pests and fungus and powdery mildew and um, things like that. But you get to garden year round, which is great. So um, location is the first thing you need to figure out. And it was the first thing that was sort of decided for me. But uh, what I didn't realize was how much of this space we really needed to grade to have it sort of flow with the rest of our yard. So um, I ended up working with two different separate people. One was a contractor who was really successful and amazing, but really expensive. And his crew came and helped us basically move the dirt. And we didn't get comps. We just were like trusting this man and his team and his subcontractors and that was ridiculously expensive, thousands of dollars to grade this area because of the fact that it was sort of like humped. It would be really hard to get all of the raised beds level. And because the soil was so poor, I, I mean, it would take me years and years to transform that soil to be plantable in ground. And seeing as gardening is like my business, my therapy, my everything, I needed something to happen a little bit faster. So <clears throat> this first contractor is like helps us move the dirt. We're totally shocked by how much it costs. And he's like, you know, to cut costs, why don't you look for someone else to help dig out irrigation trenching? So <laughs> number two, after you figure out location is how are we going to irrigate the space? Because water is so crucial for the garden. You can totally hand water. You can use a sprinkler, which I don't recommend because a lot of plants, I understand rain, like rain happens, but a lot of plants don't like to have their leaves watered every day. So that's not an option in my book. Hand watering or some sort of an irrigation setup is the way to go. So we are going to have trenches dug and irrigation put in below all of our beds. And that became like the next big thing. So I had to really nail down how many beds, the location of the beds, what it was all going to look like. I decided sort of the, the format, which took a lot of time. But at that juncture, I really, 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 really wish that I had decided for sure who I was going to work with and worked with someone on their team to help me design the space like fully from start to finish. I thought I had that under control, but a second set of eyes would have been really, really amazing. Um, and I 100% would have paid good money to have someone help me get like a 3D rendering or to help me understand like what the choices I was going to make the domino effect. And that's a big part of any construction project is not fully understanding the the 30,000 foot view. And um, that was something that I, we ended up, we were, we we're still kind of trying to figure out and, and I'll explain more later. So um, yeah, so I got this layout decided. So that was kind of the step in between the location of the garden and putting an irrigation is like, where do you want your raised beds or your garden berms to be? 
how do you want to define all of that? And then we can figure out like where to put the irrigation piping. So um, we get the dirt removed and that's, like I said, really expensive. I figure out simultaneously, okay, I need to figure out my raised bed boxes and my irrigation. Because as soon as the irrigation's done, we can put the boxes down, but we need to make sure the boxes are placed well and there's really space for all of them. And we've got pathways, you know, that are operational for a wheelbarrow and just for like beautiful flow and all of that. So I go on the hunt to find someone to make our raised beds because 10 is just too much for us to absorb at this time. And I figure they can get a better deal on lumber. And I find someone online who has these like gorgeous custom raised beds. And there are a lot of choices when it comes to raised beds. Uh, I was so set, so set on the wooden beds. You guys, our home is sort of a colonial style brick exterior. So I wanted something that played into that, that felt really natural. I feel like the garden should reflect the vibe of the home to a certain degree. Um, stone would have been so incredible, but that's really expensive and really permanent. Brick would have been rad too, but I felt like that was kind of overkill. I kind of wish I had gone with steel beds, but that's really modern looking. And then of course there's like the aluminum beds you can do. They have all types of beds on literally anywhere from like Amazon to Gardener's Supply. You can get, like I said, the tubs. There's like these really easy to assemble corrugated metal or aluminum beds you can make. Like the options are endless, but we wanted something classic, sort of French potager looking. On my blog, I share all of the inspo for it if you're curious to see like our inspiration board and stuff. But we find someone to make these beds. My husband and I you know, we're trying to compromise. I wanted lower beds. He liked the taller look. I wanted untreated redwood because it's the slowest to rot of like um, the other options, which are traditionally pine or cedar. Depending on the market, all the prices kind of flux, but redwood does tend to be more expensive. However, at the time of deciding on these beds, we actually, redwood was competitive with cedar. So I was like, we'll stick with redwood. Now, we saw this unique looking raised bed and it's with a vertical slats instead of horizontal. So a traditional wooden raised bed, if you Google like how to build a raised bed, they'll show you like you're using, you know, two by fours and you're laying them horizontally and it's so easy. Well, we saw these vertical slats that looked like really pretty and elevated and I wanted caps on the top of my bed so I could sit on the edges, which I do love. Um, and we go for that and we order 10 of these beds. And actually, actually we ordered 12 because this original contractor was like, no, we can fit 12. It'll be great. And I'm like, no, no, no. My original plan had 10. And he's like, trust me, we can squeeze in two more. You don't squeeze in four feet by eight foot giant raised beds. I didn't want the space to feel like overwhelming and tight and crowded. I wanted it to still be a beautiful, peaceful space that you could walk through that was welcoming and not overwhelming. So I ordered 12 of these custom beds. And one of the reasons truly that I wanted a custom build is because I wanted to build a fairy door <laughs> into one of the raised beds. You guys, I had this dream, literally like a dream in the night, that I made a fairy door in my garden that was operational. And I woke up realizing that was totally possible. I could just build a wooden box on the inside of one of my raised beds that was like fully enclosed. So you could attach a door on the outside, open and close the door and like 
hide little treasures in there for my kids. I am so, that is a huge win. The fairy door is amazing. It's so cute. I love everything about it. I also have a post on my blog at baileyvantassel.com. Fairy door, if you search it, like you can find it. But I found a cute fairy door on Etsy and was able to send it to this custom builder and have him create this waterproof box that would be able to absorb the weight of the soil, but be like in the beds. So when a kid comes over, my children obviously saw it being like arrive in the beds, but you like stumble upon this cute little door and you get to open it and there's a treasure inside and just, it's all the magic. And this is like my dream come true. It's my favorite thing in the garden. So that was a big win. Highly recommend you add something, some surprise and delight into your garden like that. But this was a big part of why I wanted to specifically hire someone and not have to like use a jigsaw to cut out some pre-assembled thing. And pricing wise, it was more expensive, of course, but it wasn't like that bad for to have the custom build to get like a look we really liked. Well, here's the thing I was not told. These vertical slatted beds create a lot more gaps, which means a lot of soil and water can come out of them. And for some reason, our beds, when the water, like water saturation did not swell the wood. So I don't know if they got wet beforehand and then dried or what happened, but there are sort of gaps around our bed. So I'm going to have to now go in and put landscape fabric all throughout the inside of my beds, which already have soil in them to stop that like leakage. And the it's not the biggest problem in the world. I just fear that the the wood will rot really quickly because so much water is just like pouring through all sides of it. And also I'm losing a lot of soil each season. So everyone with raised beds has to amend their beds because you need to add in nutrients and soil goes down into the ground, but it's just more. So the boxes were kind of an issue. Yes. And also 12 boxes were too many. So I had to sell two of them on Facebook marketplace, which was like a little bit of a stress, you know? So that was that. I would 100% not build beds like how I have them again. Word of warning for you. They look pretty, but are not as functional. And the other way of building them also looks pretty. Yeah. So once we had the boxes come in and laid out, I reached out to a different landscape designer to come that I had just met who I really liked. Young guy, like super ambitious, hard worker to see if he could do the irrigation. And he really wanted to like bid the rest of the job. And I liked working with him and he seemed like a cool guy. So I was like, sure. Biggest issue, it was I did not get references and I did not get photos and like proof that he had worked with raised beds before. I just, he was so confident. I took his word for it. Well, he piped in this irrigation and it's totally wrong. He dug all these trenches, put in these irrigation pipes, and they come up in the center of my raised beds. They are not on an edge. We mapped out where the raised beds would be. We spray painted it on the ground, everything, so we could make it happen. And I told him I wanted to use soaker hoses. But regardless, irrigation piping should be placed on the edge of your raised beds. Or if you're attaching a hose, like soaker hoses or anything, like you enter at the edge of the bed. One, it protects the irrigation piping. So the PVC pipe that comes up from the ground, if that's how you do it, it's nice to have it on an edge so that when you ever driving like a shovel into your beds to add soil or take it away or amend it or whatever, it just protects it. And also like just having that structure for it to push up against 
keeps it from breaking due to whatever, weather, heat, cold, whatever. Also made it really, really hard, and we still don't have irrigation installed, to put in something prefabricated um, or just like to create our own grid, to customize it. Now we have these really weird dimensions. Each of the beds have these irrigation pipes coming up in the center slash different places. It's a total mess. And when that part of the build happened, I didn't even really realize it because it wasn't something I knew was going to be a problem. I had never had irrigation piped in under the ground up into my beds. I didn't even know I needed to ask for advice on that because I hired an expert that I thought knew what they were doing. So that has continued to be a problem. Um, there are a couple solutions we found for that. One is using like an octa bubbler, which is this big irrigation spout that has like eight outputs on it where you put these like flexible hoses and then you kind of pin those down in the beds with little sprinklers. And for some reason, though, I've heard they're very successful. I just don't want to do that. Seems like a lot of work and sort of a tangle. And I don't like the idea of having these little sprinkler heads in specific places. I want more even distribution of water. Tried soaker hoses. This will bring me to my next challenge, but my bed's completely flooded with the soaker hoses. It was like too much, but also the soil was an issue. Um, so the irrigation is a major pain point. We could empty the beds that are already full of soil and like create an elbow and move the irrigation to an edge. That would be costly and time-consuming and a lot of labor to empty the beds out to a degree and like cut the pipes and build a new situation. That's probably, I don't know if I want to say that's the best thing that we could do, but that's something we should probably figure out. So there's that. So moving on to the soil. Now the soil is the most important part of your garden. And I know this. Now I've been gardening for years, multiple seasons. And I know this, I know this deep into my bones. And being a gardening content creator, blogger, influencer, whatever you want to call it, however cringy you want to get with the titles. I was able to work with a company who donated a lot of soil to me to fill my beds so that I could share about how great they are. Well, the problem with that was the soil was not that great and it was filled with wood chips, filled with wood chip fillers that you can't always control. Like this person that donated these bags, like so gracious. It is a company I've worked with in the past who I love. It's sold at my local like upscale nursery. It's great, but the quality was just poor. And so then I tried to amend it with compost and um, it just created soil that was too light and also lacking too many key nutrients. And so my first round of planting was a total fail. And then I couldn't irrigate it because my beds were flooding and I could only use soaker hoses. I didn't want to spend any more money to get like custom irrigation installed and the soil wasn't like holding the water. And so, so, so many of my plants died. So I would have gone back in time and spent my own hard-earned dollars on just getting absolutely incredible soil. But I have learned in the past that sometimes bulk soil can also not be great. So you just have to find a great supplier, call a local farm, call a local gardener, call a local garden club, call a local nursery, like get multiple recommendations and multiple people coming in with insight on where to get really, 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 really good soil to fill your beds, like without any amendments in it. And then 
self-amend it where you add in coconut core, vermiculite, compost, perlite to like zhuzh it. Um, I will be, it's just a process. Luckily, soil is an easy fix because you can amend it. Um, but it's just a lot of labor and um, it can be costly too. So it's just a part of it. But I'm fr- I was frustrated because I really wanted to have these beds like perfectly filled to the brim with incredible soil. And I sort of let business get in the way of that. So that was another challenge, but that's just something sometimes it, that goes along with it. Filling up 10 beds that are 18 inches deep is a lot of soil So um, yeah, that just was what it was. Okay, I wanna take a quick second to share with you guys about this amazing opportunity. So this month, um, I am partnering with this incredible company that is sharing all about bone broth, how to make your own bone broth, how to use bone broth, the whole nine yards. It's super nutrient dense. It's super good for you and your family. And it's also one of those things that gets you back to your roots and cooking and really just nourishing your people from the inside out. But bone broth can be kind of complicated. So there are a lot of really amazing resources and I have it all on my website, baileyvantassel.com forward slash bone broth. And we've got a free ebook for you all about cooking with bone broth. And then we're also gonna be talking about this incredible course and classes you can take to learn how to make your own and all that jazz. But I wanted to just take a break to encourage you guys to go check that out if you're interested at all baileyvantassel.com forward slash bone broth. Okay. So we've talked about the beds, the soil, the irrigation, what we did there. Now there are basically two other components to the garden to think through, and that's your borders and your pathways. So not everyone has borders in their garden. I feel like it's sort of a British thing, but I wanted these borders around my entire garden space that I could fill up with like really lush, dense, green foliage. Also edible native plants, like because I really want someone to walk into my kitchen garden, which is essentially an edible garden with some flowers in it and have nothing be like scary toxic. Um, But I'm learning that I just don't know how possible that is if I want it to also have some of the other, I want some pollinator plants and Sometimes those are, you know, like you want to put in a foxglove and that can be kind of toxic if you eat a bunch of them. But like I'm becoming more flexible on this concept. But in my borders, I wanted these really like dense, lush, green spaces. So it felt like you're walking into a room. So I built out these like almost two foot deep, wide, however you want to call it, borders, which are just like special spaces around the edge of the garden saved for planting basically like shrubs. And it's almost 48 feet long to fill up. So 48, essentially, if it's like square foot gardening, like 48-ish plants would go in there. And I went out and bought a bunch of these. And that soil, as I mentioned, is trash. So I had to amend it as much as I could um, and planted a bunch of native edible plants because of this big like native edible vision that I had. Well, with California natives, you need to deep water them until they get established. Until they get established, quote unquote, is (laughs) like, there's not a science, but it can be like weeks, months, depending on the plant. 
I didn't do a ton of research. I was in a rush. I needed it to get put in so that they could then put the irrigation for the borders in and killed 90% of those plants because they just were not watered properly. And they also, by the time on our timeline, we started all this in March, by the time those went in, it was May. We're getting into the hotter season for us. And we've got this afternoon sun beating down on these baby plants and they just died, most of them. So I have, instead of this like lush secret garden green border around all my beds, just death and destruction because I didn't water enough and I didn't get to know each individual plant enough. I'm also going to replace them now with a mixture of things that are native and non-native that will are very drought tolerant um, that I help get established for a couple weeks and just pay way more attention to. So FYI, um, because, I mean, we get like, I don't even know, I want to say like max 10 inches of rain a year. It is nothing. We basically are in a drought in Southern California sort of desert climate, honestly, and and with climate change, it's getting more and more humid and also more and more hot and for longer. So I really need a durable border that doesn't require a lot of maintenance. And I, that will be what helps me choose my plants. And I want things that will, you know, mature sort of quickly and just, and just be, honestly, there has to be some low maintenance aspect to the garden that is also beautiful and useful. So those are the changes we're making with the borders. Now, lastly, because we're still dealing with this part of it, our pathways. So right now we have these really cool, and it looks good, DG, um, decomposed granite pathways. And they're sort of this orangey brown color, which we weren't really expecting for some reason. Pictures we'd seen must have been filtered or there's different colors, but they ended up this really, I don't know, orangey brown DG all around the garden. And we debated a bunch of things. So DG, pea gravel, grass, mulch, fake grass, pavers being all the options. We chose DG because I liked how like natural it looked in terms of just like kind of looks like sandy dirt, but not like dead dirt, you know, just like basic. It does get like squishy in the rain, but it's pretty durable. And it's not like too dirty because we do worry about a mud issue because I have kids who are always tracking in mud. So we chose the DG and didn't regret it too much until we started realizing it gets really hot and it's really, really hard on bare feet. And myself and the kids are always out there in bare feet. We have some flagstone pavers like cut out these cute little stepping stones in the DG, flush with the DG but they get really dirty from the DG also and just don't really help and kind of blend in. And it just doesn't look the way we expected. So we were honestly just pretty disappointed with that choice. We didn't choose pea gravel because we felt like that would be messy, kids throwing rocks, also kind of hard to walk on barefoot. Um, We didn't want it to like slope down and move too much. So that's why we didn't choose that. Although I kind of wish that we did. Grass, we would love to have grass, but with wooden beds, And having to irrigate so much, we felt like that was just mold waiting to happen and also can get muddy. Fake grass, which is great, love the way it looks, can release microplastics into the soil and into your raised beds. So we've been really hesitant to do fake grass like turf. And then lastly, mulch. I 
mulch is dirty. It's just always drug into the house by the dogs and the kids. And I don't love the way it looks and I don't like walking on it. So mulch was a no. So we're probably going to pull up the DG and put pavers down in some sort of configuration that match the rest of our yard. Um, But again, this is a very costly and labor intensive change to make to an already really expensive garden. So if you can find reclaimed materials or donate materials, or you've got, you know, grass already growing, you live somewhere where that's possible, like think really deeply about the way you want your pathways to look and feel and how you're using them. Are you bringing a wheelbarrow through a lot? Are you barefoot a lot? Does it get really hot? Does it, you know, are your raised beds going to be damaged by any water that you have to irrigate with all of those things? So that's that for pathways. Um, We're still a little undecided on exactly how we're going to move forward, but we're probably going to have that DG removed and do pavers, like I said, and maybe some turf in areas that aren't going to be close to my actual beds to create more of that like lush green vibe, but that's not going to be heavy with water usage. So, so if you're doing a garden builder renovation, I hope this saves you some heartache and adds some insight into the whole situation. Um, I absolutely love the garden. It is a lot of work, but it's what I wanted. I wanted us to be able to grow as much food as possible um, for our family, for our health, and for just the joy of gardening. So that's the insight on that. If you have questions, you can always email me um, and or visit the website. And hopefully we've got the resources there. I have a ton of information on how I chose like my potting bench and inspiration, a lot of stuff like that. The garden aesthetically looks gorgeous. So there's that. But as we all know, beauty is not everything. We need there to be function and form. So I hope this can be helpful. Thank you for being here. And we've got an insanely incredible interview coming up next week. Stay tuned. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.